morning, everyone. Uh, let's open our time together this morning with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do um, thank you for the privilege uh, that we do have uh, in prayer, uh, that we can come before your throne of grace and pour our hearts out before you, uh, pour out our joys and our griefs. Um, uh, we can commend you for your righteousness and confess our sin and how you punish us for it. Um, we can uh, praise you uh, for your justice, even as we um, uh, subsist in an unjust world. Lord, we uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning as we see um, the people grieve over the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the loss of a Davidic king. Uh, help us to see uh, the depths of how much of their political and religious and social order had been um, destroyed, uh, but help us to also see that their remaining hope, as is ours, is in uh, you, uh, in our relationship with you, that uh, all the things of this earth can fall away, um, but uh, you yourself uh, uh, exist, and you are preserving your people um, and keeping them. And so we pray that uh, you would Help us uh, as we work through this book of, of lamentation and mourning and grief. Uh, you would help us see the proper way to, to grieve, the proper way to pray, um, the proper way to respond um, to the evils that befall us uh, even as we struggle um, uh, emotionally uh, with those troubles. Uh, teach us by your spirit this morning, we pray. Um, as we'll see in chapter one of Lamentations, um, the city is without a comforter, and we know that uh, we have uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, our comforter, uh, and we pray that Spirit um, would guide us in all things uh, concerning the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and, the, and the good news uh, that's to be found only in him. And we ask us in his matchless name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so we have been studying uh, the book of Jeremiah. We finished chapter 52 of Jeremiah last week. Um, and it makes sense uh, with that um, to go into Lamentations because the fall of Jerusalem, which we saw Jeremiah re-narrate for the second time in the book of Jeremiah at the end, um, it is the context for the book of Lamentations. Like you think sometimes in scripture, um, books kind of have, uh, yeah, an ahistorical, like we don't know exactly what moment they're speaking to. Um, Lamentations, we know exactly <laughs> uh, the moment um, that the, the author is responding to. He's responding to those things we saw last week in Jeremiah chapter 52. And in his second retelling, Jeremiah focused on the temple and its destruction how the Babylonians broke up and carted off everything of value, all of its beautiful bronze and silver and gold. He described the, the loss of people, the, the totals of three deportations that Babylon made of valuable and skilled people sent off in exile. And we talked some last week about how it's through those exiles that the hope of, of Israel's future restoration would, would come. Um, so the book of Jeremiah ended confirming all that, the Jer that Jeremiah prophesied had come true, 
with Judah's king blinded and his children cut off, with the city of Jerusalem burned with its walls, systematically destroyed and empty of its people, uh, with exiles being carted off to, to Babylon, and ultimately with God's temple destroyed and all its valuables melted down and carted away. So the book of Lamentations picks up on, on Jeremiah 52. So uh, there's a reason um, that in our English Bibles it's placed right here. Um, it presents to us a poetic reflection on just how grievous and troubling all those events that Jeremiah narrated in chapter 52 were, and how that sorrow and grief that people uh, experienced at that moment should be remembered and used. The Jews take the book of Lamentations and annually recite it liturgically on the fast day of Tisha B'Av, which means the ninth of Av, which commemorates the day the temple fell. So this moment um, is, is sort of like the D-Day <laughs> moment or uh, Pearl Harbor Day or, you know, the 9-11. Uh, you know, like it's a day of tragedy that gets annually remembered. And part of that remembrance is through reciting the book that we're about to study, the Book of Lamentations. Now, no author is named for the Book of Lamentations. In fact, there are very... Uh, few names at all <laughs> in the book, um, uh, but tradition ascribes it to Jeremiah, uh, and as we'll see, uh, it shares lots of the same language and themes that we encountered in the prophet Jeremiah. We know from Second Chronicles that Jeremiah um, had written a, a, a book of lamentations. Jer um, Second Chronicles says, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah, so after the um, King Josiah's death, Jeremiah lamented, and all the singing men and all the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. Um, so there are, there are lots of, of reasons to ascribe authorship to Jeremiah, even though he's not named. Um, and uh, whether or not Jeremiah wrote it, uh, Lamentations' detailed depiction of a destroyed city and temple um, places, at, places its writing at a date very close to the events it describes. Um, it gives a detailed description of a destroyed city and temple. Uh, it contains the shock, anger, disbelief, suffering, anguish um, that a first-hand observer with his emotions uh, raging amidst the smoldering, chaotic remains of everything his people valued around him. Um, so from a, a descriptive level, how detailed it is and what it's like to experience a destroyed city um, and, and the emotional reaction to that moment seems to place it very close to um, the destruction of the temple in 586 uh, B.C. So... Although the book is responding to this chaotic moment, ironically, this is probably the best organized book um, in the entirety of scripture. It consists of five poems that are captured for us in our five chapters, so each chapter is a different poem. Every one of those poems has 22 stanzas. Um, so 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 stanzas per poem, so each poem 22 stanzas long. 
The first four of those poems are all acrostic. So that means they are all starting with the, a letter that sets that, and it's following the Hebrew alphabet. So we start with Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, etc. So all the way to the 22, um, uh, 22 letters in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. The third um, poem, chapter three, actually takes that acrostic and like, puts it on steroids. Every line of every stanza starts with the same letter. Um, so each one starts with Allah, each one starts with that. And that's why if you look, it's, it's um, in, in our translations, there are actually 66 verses to chapter three. <laughs> um, even though it's still 22 stanzas of a poem and the other chapters have 22, because every line of each stanza starts with you know, the same letter of the alphabet for that stanza, um, when the verses were created, they broke that out. So three verses, three lines for each stanza in that poem. So 66 verses are in chapter three. Um, but all that to say, it is um, very <laughs> organized. So this, in, so as you think of, and I think that teaches us a lot. This is a book about grief. Um, uh, one of the books I've, I've been using and studying for this is Walter Kaiser's Grief and Pain and the Plan of God, Christian Assurance and the Message of Lamentations. And that is what the heart of the book is. It's working through grief and pain. But it's not some disordered, uh, you know, initial emotional, like, you know, just whatever comes out of a stream of consciousness. It is highly structured. Um, it is very disciplined in its composition. Um, and again, think, every chapter, 22 verses to the poem, um, those first four poems all acrostic, so following that Hebrew alphabet. So I, a lot of people talk about how it is a ordered response to a chaotic moment. So I think that's helpful to think about it. Um, like the Psalms, Lamentations has very much to teach us about open and honest prayer that presupposes a freedom on the prayer's part to grieve and protest before Yahweh about things that have happened uh, to Israel and to plead for reversal and for Yahweh to act against its attackers, even while granting that everything that happened uh, was deserved. So, you know, if, as we see in Lamentations, um, there is no plea that the sentence was, um, uh, was unjust. No, the sentence is just, and it's their theological response to God's just uh, sentence upon them. So all that to say, Lamentations presents a carefully and thoughtfully ordered emotional response to the most chaotic and troubling event in Israel's history. So any questions, that's about all the introduction I'm going to give you. Because <laughs> um, it's a short book, and in many ways, Jeremiah serves as the introduction. Like, it gives us the historical context. Uh, it gives us a lot of the same themes. Um, so it, we're taking that chapter 52 that we saw last week um, and, and saw how, again, Jeremiah it was very matter-of-fact in his reporting. Um, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't put a lot of emotion into his description of the fall of Jerusalem in the book of Jeremiah, um, which, 
you know, we might say that's unusual because Jeremiah is the guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. <laughs> um, he tells us what he's thinking. Um, so he's kind of been saving it <laughs> for us to tell us what he's thinking uh, here in the book of Lamentations. So with that as a word of introduction, hear now the word of God from Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who is great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans. She turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her, therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, he made it descend, he spread a net for my feet, he turned me back, he has left me stunned, faint, all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke, by his hand they were fastened together, they were set upon my neck, he caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand." The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. 
The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. Okay, so the 22 verses of chapter 1 are kind of broken down roughly by two speakers, or we might say two perspectives are being given uh, in this first chapter. The first perspective, you'll note that the subjects in the first 11 verses, for the most part, are all third person. So it's someone describing what they're seeing has happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And then the second half of chapter 1, it switches to first person. So we get a personified Jerusalem crying out before God. Um, and and they're, not, um, they're not conflicting perspectives. Um, they, they share very much the same um, perspective, from same theological perspective. Um, but we're getting that theological perspective expressed in two different uh, ways as we look at this first um, poem in the book of Lamentations. So, uh, so the first half, verses 1 through 11, is presented from the perspective of a third-person observer. So what does this observer poetically note about the state of Judah and Jerusalem? What does he say he sees? Yeah, Dave? Like in what way? I read, I, I, I preached an entire sermon from Ezekiel uh, 16, <laughs> like, I don't know, <laughs> me crude things <laughs> from scripture I'm very comfortable with, so. <laughs> um, verse 9, uh, it says, uh, her uncleanness was in her skirts. Um, that's, that's pretty evocative of all kinds of uncleanness there. Yeah, so, so, um. Before we get to the, the uncleanness, let's step back one. So, so notice what he's doing in this chapter. He's personifying Jerusalem as a woman. So as we think of, of the description, it's a, it, he's using lots of metaphorical language around women. And, and one of those, uh, of those images is the unclean women, woman. So here is a woman who, because of her uncleanness, and like some people like, is this like menstrual uncleanness, or is this adulterous uncleanness? Um, you'll notice in the following um, line of that particular poem, um, she's being stripped naked, so that's sort of, you know, so here's someone who has literally dirtied her skirts with her sin, 
um, and as part of her punishment, like often happened to prostitutes, she would be stripped naked um, before the crowd. So it's um, like, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to write this line down, um, so I'm going to botch it. Um, but one person described it, it's like, you know, often it's a lover that, that you uncover your, your nakedness in the presence of a lover, but to have it done to you with an audience, how humiliating that. So the, like contrasting those different actions. So here she's kind of opened her skirts um, to use your, the, the metaphor you're pointing out, um, you know, in adultery and now her punishment, she's suffering the punishment of an adulteress by, by being stripped naked there. Um, but the city being personified as a woman, and then in this case, a, a woman who's prostituted herself and now is um, suffering the humiliating judgment upon that prostitution. Yeah, Teresa. She starts out as a preacher. She just... Yeah, so, and notice like verse one, yeah, the reversals. Um, like, how lonely sits the city, so that was full of people. How like a widow she has become she who was great among the nations. So, you know, what was full of people is now lonely. What once was great is, is now like a widow, helpless. Like, and when it's doing the like a widow there, um, it's, it's it, you know, it's not just someone who's lost a loved one, but it's someone who in this culture is at their most exposed and vulnerable. So she who was great has now become exposed and vulnerable. Um, and then the one you pointed out, Teresa, she who was a princess has become a slave. So a great reversal has taken place. And verse one kind of announces that great reversal um, through these three images. Uh, the city is, is now empty. Um, she who is great among the nations uh, is, is now like a helpless widow. She who is a princess is now a slave. Um, yeah, Greg. Yeah, and you're absolutely right to seize on the no comfort part. That is like the unifying theme of this first poem. No comfort. Um, yeah, and, and as you say, like, as we think of our experiences as grief, like, you know, we know, like, like, if, like when my mom died, lots of people came around to comfort me. Um, last week, we marked 10 years since Dana's died. Lots of people came and comforted our family. And, and that helped make the experience endurable, like people who lost other people you could talk to and, and, and gain from their experiences. Um, and this, this Jerusalem, she has none of that. Um, she, she is without comforters, and that is making her anguish all the more horrific. Like, 
I mean, we, we, can, um, we, we can critique the quality of, of Job's <laughs> comforters, but at least he had them. <laughs> um, you know, so like uh, this person, uh, yeah, he might not have had great comforters, but he had comforters. Um, uh, this is a Jerusalem that is at this moment feeling completely isolated, cut off from other people, like, because there's a lot of, you've been cut off from all the other nations. Um, uh, they are mocking you rather than comforting you. But also, as you say, they feel cut off from the one who they acknowledge, um, and in both sections of the poem, acknowledge that this event has come from the hands of Yahweh. Like, again, as we think, uh, all right, they're coming with different perspectives, but it's a unified perspective. Um, they're both, as you're saying, you're acknowledging there's no one to comfort. They're both acknowledging that these events have come to pass from the sovereign hand of God, rightly um, bringing judgment upon his people. That all that they've befallen, as horrible as it is and as comfortless as they are, they, they're, they're also saying you, you were right to bring it. Um, it doesn't make it feel better, um, but uh, it's, and again, as we, like, this is the first stage stage of a grieving process. I said I wasn't going to give any more introduction, but I'll give more introduction. So as you think of it, um, uh, and, and maybe I should get you to explain this as a musician, like, the crescendo's building um, in the first couple, and the high point is chapter three. And again, that making every line of the poem uh, start with the same letter, <laughs> that's like... Uh, a grammatical way of, of screaming, <laughs> um, of like, uh, and so chapter three will be the high point of this grieving process, um, and then chapters four and five are kind of the, the descent, um, you know, but the high point is going to be in, in chapter three, um, and so we're building, and at this moment, we're not seeing a lot of hope, we're not seeing much comfort. We're seeing an expression of trust in God, but the, and and hope um, that God will act rightly uh, against the, uh, Israel's enemies, as He's acted rightly against them. Um, but the hope of restoration kind of seems a little far off in in chapter one. Like so, it's like as we again, and and I think this is I, I don't like I once had heard a professor like compare it to the five stages of grief. I think that's too psychological and, and trying to impose a specific kind of thought of grieving onto the book. But there is a sense, like at, at this moment, like this is the hopeless moment. Like where, what's life gonna be? Like you can't imagine what life is gonna be like after this moment. Like, um, you know, and, and like a widow. Like at the moment, the husband dies and has left you alone, like, yeah, like that's the most, the, the moment of the death and the immediate experience, that's the most um, hopeless moment. And so that's kind of where we are in chapter one. Um, you know, it's the shock uh, and the ex complete lack of comfort in, in this moment right now. Um, and you picked up on that with the repetition, no comfort, no comforter. Um, only the experience of God's righteous wrath. And it is uncomfortable, to say the least. 
Good. What else strikes you about how our third-person observer is describing um, this personified Jerusalem situation? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and just so, like, uh, this is a good moment for caution. We're doing poetry, so don't take everything too, too literally. So, because some people read, like, from, so she, from her, she's a widow, so therefore her husband, God, died. No. <laughs> that would be reading, it, she's like a widow. Like, so it's making, like, again, it's picturing something with metaphor. So don't stretch, just caution. I'm not saying you were doing it, but just sort of caution. The moment I wanted to caution us never press poetic metaphor uh, too far. <laughs> and there are some people who have pressed this, so to her, God has died. And I, I don't, that's not the case, as we see. She's, the city is still crying out, to, like if God's dead, who's she crying out to? Like, so she doesn't think God is, is dead, but it is, to, to your point, how she, she has been rendered into this completely helpless, vulnerable position. She's lost everything um, and, and what's left. But for her to, to cry out um, is, is all that she has left. And that, notice that's the first action that we see this city taking is, is weeping. Um, so as we look at our personified city, she's crying uh, all night um, is that first the describer, um, just like a widow would, would pour out her hardships in tears. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's a very Jeremiah um, word, if you remember, like, Jeremiah used that phrase, turned away from God toward other nations, toward other gods. And what's the call throughout the Jeremiah? Turn to God. <laughs> and in this case, I love how um, it describes it. it. It's God who has, has turned her um, through, through these afflictions. Um, and again, it's the moments of hope. That's like, all right, God has inflicted all this upon her not to destroy her, but to turn her. She who turned to all her lovers, God is turning her back to him. And that's, um, that's at the heart of why these afflictions uh, befell them. Um, and again, one thing Lamentations doesn't do a lot of, it doesn't wrestle with the problem of good and evil. Like these are bad, clearly bad things have happened to us, but we clearly believe in a good God. It doesn't. For, for the author, those two things aren't in tension with other. It doesn't explore that point. It just lives in, in that tension. Dave, you had your
yeah, like, again, it's a poetic description of actual things that have happened. Like, you know, the historic basis for this is, is you know, plain. Like, and, um, and, and you can see, like, someone literally, like, living in, or, or wandering through the smoking streets of the city that, whose inhabitants have been carted off, you know, those daughters and those sons have been taken into exile or destroyed. Um, the temple where worship used to be conducted and you had all these priests busily every day. Um, I love the line, um, verse four, the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival, all our gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted and she suffers bitterly. So it's going to like, Again, thinking what's been lost, like all these joyous festivals where people would come and clog the streets to Jerusalem um, from all directions coming to, to celebrate and the streets are quiet, like nobody's coming. Uh, they're empty, they're desolate. Um, these, these virgins who like think of like, um, you know, dancing before the ark uh, in the time of David like singing, rejoicing, um, gone. Like the you know the streets are empty and 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 quiet. That, and so the streets themselves are depicted as like poetically depicted as mourning, because these real things are no longer taking place. Yeah, you know, we get this poetic description of a mother experiencing loss because the city has experienced the loss of its people as it's been emptied out. And as we saw last week, it's not Judah's been emptied out, but it's pretty clear Jerusalem is a, a pile of, of rubble um, and, and is pretty much uninhabited. And we get, again, like wild animals are starting to inhabit her, the streets of Jerusalem, um, that kind of picture. Good. Other things that strike you of how our, our third person observer, so it's poetically, I, like David's absolutely right, it's poetically capturing real loss. Um, and notice the levels, and, and we talked some about this last week, all the things that, they, that are gifts from God, but they've been putting their trust in those gifts, and now they're gone. They've been trusting in the city of God, Jerusalem, um, and it's, it's gone. They've been trusting in their king from the line of David, who's going to rule on the throne forever. He's blinded, and his sons were slaughtered before him, before he was blinded, and he's carted off into captivity. So that, that majesty has departed, um, and that word um, uh, comes up. Um, where is it? Um, the majesty. Yeah, hold on. i got to look at my note. Um, the majesty has disappeared, um, and, and that word majesty is specifically um, uh, a reflection of, of royalty. Um, verse 6, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. And so you can kind of think of that, again, in a poetic level, someone's lost their, their majesty. In this case, again, it's a poetic description of a loss of the, the king, like, all the royalties gone out of it, and the temple is gone. Like so, like you know, we saw that in Jeremiah, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like they they thought themselves inviolable, untouchable, because they had the temple, because a Davidic king was on the throne, because Jerusalem's walls were were up and 
and all those things that they had kind of assumed uh, are all gone um, from their existence. And like, imagine, like, uh, like you know, they've experienced political loss. Their king's been killed, destroyed. They've experienced religious loss. Their temple's been destroyed. Their priests killed, carted off. They've experienced social loss with family members carted into captivity, countless numbers of people um, killed, uh, you know, starved to death in, in the midst of the siege. Um, so it's, it's not just a grief in one area of life, but every aspect of their life, the foundations have been completely sh been shaken, um, socially, religiously, politically, they are bereft, like a widow. Yeah, Deb. Yeah, so, so a couple things. I, I think one, I, I think you definitely see warning. Um, uh, you know, look at verse 12. Uh, so you have this personified Jerusalem. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. So it's calling the, the nations coming by you better take a look, <laughs> um, you know, that, you know, lest these things um, befall you. Um, so, so it's warning, but I think it's also, like, as we go through the book, I, I think it is teaching us, like, like I said in the sermon on Philippians a couple weeks ago, like, there are a lot of things Christianity has in common with Stoicism, but Stoicism denies emotion, and Christianity and, and religion embraces emotion, that God has made those emotions in us and wants us to use them. So the response to a tragedy that's happened on multiple layers isn't just to like pretend it didn't happen, isn't just to grin and bear it. Uh, no, you, you, you have permission to, to grieve. To, to live through it, to cry out to God, even as you acknowledge that God is the one who brought this upon you. You, you, you have that, that freedom, that openness um, to cry out to, to God. Not that God doesn't know, because again, <laughs> God's the one who's done it all. Um, but it's, so it, yeah, so it, as we think, it's teaching us to, again, where does our hope lie? Uh, our hope lies in relationship, and that is where um, we should focus our attention. And when we experience loss, that's where we should turn. Uh, we should cry out to, to that God. And, you know, uh, as we'll see, there's, there's anger um, gets expressed. Like, it, it's not just, you know, again, oh, yeah, well, we... we we suffered this. Oh well, what are you going to do? No, they're mad, <laughs> or the author's mad. Um, like, 
you know, and wrestling with, did I really deserve this, as we'll see in some of them. Um, here, there's, there's clear admission of, of guilt and that it's deserved, and, and yet it still hurts. And they're crying out to God, even in the midst of it still hurting. So it's not, it, it's taking us away from that, that reservation that, um, especially publicly, like, that we like, you know, that public facing face. Yeah, you know, like, again, like Greg's song, we, we have comforters. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. No. <laughs> like, we're just keeping it bottled in. Like, uh, you know, like, and it, it's going to come out somewhere <laughs> and maybe at inappropriate times. Like, uh, I, <laughs> I remember, because uh, this is when my mom died and it was 2020, so we were on Zoom. And I was leading worship on one Zoom and all of a sudden it hit me. And it, was, it hit me when I was, I was doing the prayer. And I was praying, I think, for Scott and, uh, and, and Kathy as they care for aging parents. <laughs> and it just like, woof. Like, and I started crying. And then we got to the Lord's Prayer, and I couldn't even finish. Because, like, like my brain, like, I was literally, like, you know, weeping. And because I wasn't dealing with my grief, I wasn't the way I'm supposed to. I wasn't dealing with it in prayer how I was supposed to, uh, I think. Um, and, and it took a moment of prayer to, to suddenly like let those emotions come out. So, so I think as, as we, we think about application and what I hope we get out of this book, I hope we get how's a proper way to grieve, uh, a theologically uh, proper way to grieve, how's a theologically proper way to pray um, to God, because again, this book has m more to do with Psalms. Um, like it's going to feel more similar to Psalms than it is going to feel to some of Jeremiah. Like you know, one thing that's going to be completely absent from the book is the the, the kind of you know we, you could see where Jeremiah could adopt a "I told you so." Like that's completely like he doesn't revisit. Uh, he doesn't go into the, like, well, these are all the reasons why you suffered this. It's like, no, I've already done that. <laughs> uh, the moment for warning you has passed. Like, he, he spent 40 years warning them, this is going to happen. It's happened. What does he do? He doesn't say, I told you so. He, he helps them. Uh, he helps himself deal with, again, the, the emotional experience of, of, like, I, I mean, like, I talked about how I broke down just for the loss of my mother. Like, they've lost everything. Like, it's like their country's gone, their religious practice is gone, they're, you know, they've lost tremendous in terms of family and connections, all that's gone. Um, and, and what do you do? Well, you cry out to God. Um, and that's what Lamentations is doing. Um, and we see it starts off, kind of warms us up with the third person, but then we get into the eyes uh, in, in verse. Uh, we get a couple of eyes, and it's, I like how the ESV renders it as quotes. Uh, at the end of verse 9, her uncleanness was in her skirt. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. And then he, it's like the third person observer is recording what she's crying out. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Um, and then at the end of verse 11, look, O oh Lord, and see, for I'm despised. But then in verse 12, you know, now we're in the, the narrative. 
uh, of, of first person um, experience, uh, you know, it's, it becomes I and me at that point. So we move from that outside observer, kind of, you know, outside but not detached, I guess would say, to, to now like an expression of what this um, Jerusalem personified, uh, Miss Jerusalem, I don't know what we want to call her, um, how she responds. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, like the audience for the first part is a little unclear, like, but the audience for the second part is God. So, like, we've... Yeah, but, but, they, but they both have the, the shared perspective that it's God responsible. First half is, you know, again, kind of our... Um, uh, observer um, reporting it and then it's the voice switches to the person experiencing it and so he's been describing this personified Jerusalem and as a woman and notice how like there are multiple stages of life widow, young girl menstruating um, like wherever you want to fall in a stage like it captures that stage of womanhood in the text, and then the pers perspective goes to that woman crying out is what we get um, starting in verse 12. So as, as, and the audience there is clear, it's very much crying out, um, one, to the people passing around, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, look and see? Um, and then as Dave, as you say, um, it, look, O Lord, for I am dis in distress, like it, it fully becomes that supplication starts coming. Um, but it's starting with, like, again, rooted in this histor historic experience of loss. Yeah, Chris. Stages of grief, but it's it's the stages that. God 
God works in through his people, natural, natural phases of in their misery, they cry out because he's the only one that can deliver. But he's going to move them ultimately to this phase where the, they see him not merely as the deliverer, but as the desire of their heart to replace all those lovers that they had trusted in before. Yeah. Like, and I, like, 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 again, it's a process. And they're in the stage of the process where they are acknowledging all that they've lost, all that that's gone, and acknowledging their guilt and God doing that. Um, but they haven't yet, like, like, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth when you have no temple? What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth when, when you don't have priests anymore? Like, they're, like... They're wrestling, like, they're going to, like, God's going to lead them through it. But at, at that moment, it's like, well, how, 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 how can we worship anymore? The, the temple's gone. All its beauty's been, you know, melted down and carted off to Babylon to make some pagan idol. And, like, they're experiencing, in, in chapter one, the emphasis is on the loss and on there's no comforter in that loss. But they're still crying out, like, so they're... Um, but they they haven't yet like latched on to okay we we haven't lost everything <laughs> and that there is a comforter. Yeah, you can't ignore it and act like, oh, yeah, no big deal. We didn't, <laughs> Jerusalem, we can just build another city. Uh, you know, like, no, like, it's, you, you can't fake it. Like, you, you like, it, it hurts. Like, and it, and it, and I think, like, again, as we think about application, it's, they know they're experiencing punishment for sin, and that punishment hurts, even though, they can acknowledge it's right. They can still express how painful it is. Um, and all the while acknowledging that God was right in bringing it. Um, it still hurts. Um, it, it was still painful. And again, like, I, I can't imagine, like, to, to have your world, like, I mean, it, it's one of those, like, uh, you know, Armageddon kind of movies where the entire earth gets destroyed. Um, but uh, there's a line from Seneca um, that I wrote in my notes, but I don't feel like walking over there to find it. Um, but the, the basic gist is a, a great city can be no city tomorrow. Like, and I, I think that perspective, like, you know, it can change so fast, um, circumstances. And what, what, what's your real bedrock? Is it the circumstances? Is it the city? Is it the temple in the city? Is it the king in that city? Is it the people in that city? Or is it the God of that city? Um, and they have to, in a sense, be stripped of all those things in order to be built back up the, the way 
they should be. Um, and as we think about this moment, um, and again, to think about you know, how both um, Jews and Christians use lamentations, um, they, they use it like, as a moment to acknowledge this is a moment where our sin received God's punishment and, and we have to remember that. Like, you can't forget it in all its ugliness and all its loss. It's in remembering it that helps you process it. You don't forget it happened. No, <laughs> you, you latch on to it. Um, again, not as an anchor holding you back, but as a necessary stage in order to get through. You have to acknowledge what's, been hap what's happened to you. You have to acknowledge the rightness of what's happened to you. And that helps you, you know, get to the next stage of, of realizing, well, I, I haven't lost everything. Um, God is faithful. Um, and that is kind of in chapter 3. Uh, our hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is, is coming out of Lamentations chapter 3. Um, that's the spark for, the, for that hymn. And that's the kind of moment of w in this process where we can say there's an aha moment. And the grief's not over. <laughs> the, the book actually ends on a down note. <laughs> so, like, it, it's not, like, and again, it's not like, uh, like some mathematical process of you start at A and you end up in E. It's like, I mean, and it, as those of you um, dealt with grief, you know, it's more like the roller coaster up and down. And you have those high points where you, you can see what God's doing, and then you have the low points, and you're like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but, but God wants to hear that. Like, and again, I think um, one of the things uh, I want for us in this book is to, to, to instruct us we, how open we can be in crying out before God, um, uh, pouring our griefs before him. We can, just as the psalmist is so bold, um, and, and speaking to God, so too is uh, the author of Lamentations. Um, encourage us as in a boldness to express our grief and loss and mourning, to cry out how lonely and isolated we feel. Um, and in doing that, we start working through, okay, I'm, I'm not alone. Um, I'm not without a comforter. Um, I, I haven't lost everything. There, there's the thing still remains. But you don't, as you said, Chris, you don't get there instantly. <laughs> um, you don't get to the instant solution. Um, like, you know, like I, I, I'm installing cabinets that were installed somewhere else. So that means, like, they have a finish, but I'm having to change them to, to fit them into my space, which means I have to refinish parts of them. And like, I would just like to like, you know, put one coat of something on and they instantly match. <laughs> it's like, no, I have to sand them. Um, I have to uh, put a stain on them. I have to wipe the stain down, put another coat of stain on them, wipe that stain down, put on, uh, you know. And if I jump to the end, I, I have a mess. <laughs> I have to follow the steps. Um, uh, and you know, one of those steps um, of, of grieving is, is expressing that, like it hurts, like crying. <laughs> There's a lot of tears in this passage. That's okay. Like you can cry at the loss, even when, um, you know, 
God has been right in bringing it upon you. Um, Look, O Lord, verse 20, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. Um, and then, uh, as, as Dave says, we, it turns to imprecation. Okay, you've done this. You've used my enemies to do this to me. Now you be just and do that to them. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doings come before you and deal with them. As you have dealt with me because of all my transgression, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Um, so at this moment, all they can kind of think of is, all right, God is just. Let that justice fall upon the people who, who did that to us. God was just in bringing it upon us. Let God be just in bringing that punishment upon them. Yeah, Dave. It seems to be. Uh, I mean, it, it's plain loose with, like, is it Judah speaking? Is it Jerusalem? But it, the, the idea um, it does seem to be, like, um, this, you know, Jerusalem remembers. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Um, you know, so it's, it's playing loose with Judah, Jerusalem, the people. They're kind of like all smushed together in one personification. And again, I think personifying it helps us, um, you know, and by collectively personifying it. Um, because as we think about this, it's not just an individual grief. This is communal grief. This is loss they've all suffered. Um, and so um, this, uh, again, as Lamentations is read publicly and liturgically, it's helping people collectively work through these things. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's, it's saying God is, is responsible for it, and, and God is responsible for his temple being desecrated in this way. But God had to do that um, for their good. Um, yeah, uh, and I, you know, there, there's a lot um, in these images. Um, and, and just to warn you, there's a lot of repetition. <laughs> so if there's something we didn't get to today that you want to talk about, there's pretty good odds it'll come up in one of the next poems. So, um, uh, yes. <laughs> but, well, I mean, again, poetry, uh, grieving, uh, these are repetitive processes. Uh, all right, well, uh, thanks for the good start. Let me close our time together with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we do praise you for allowing us to cry out to you, um, to cry out uh, with joy, 
um, at, at all the, the, the good and beauty and uh, light we see, uh, but to also cry out in grief and pain uh, when as a consequence of, of ours and others' sin, um, we, we suffer. Um, and indeed, uh, even uh, the loss uh, of a widow, um, death itself is the result uh, of sin. And so there isn't uh, a moment in which we grieve that has not been um, uh, touched, has not been touched by, by sinfulness. Um, and so, Lord, uh, when we see all around us um, uh, for what it truly is, um, help us to see you for who you truly are, that all else could be taken. Um, we could lose uh, all the treasures on this earth, um, but if we have you, we have something of far, far, far greater worth. Um, so we pray that the words of Lamentations will help us uh, to, to be better at grieving, um, to be better at praying, um, but most of all, uh, to turn to you um, as the writer uh, enjoins us to, that we would repent of our sin and turn to you in faith. Um, and help us now uh, as we do that, as we worship. Um, and we come rejoicing, uh, acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin before you, but joyfully acknowledging that uh, you, um, through pouring your wrath out upon your son, has created a way for our sins to be pardoned. Um, that we don't have to experience the, the loss and uh, the comfortlessness and the isolation um, that Judah is expressing here in this chapter um, because we have a, a comforter. Uh, we have one who has spared us um, from this experience of wrath. So help us come with joyful hearts as we worship you together. And this we pray uh, by the power of your spirit in the name of our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.